Everyone, remain calm. Yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. And later there's running and screaming. Somebody talk to me, what is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. You're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. You want to consult here or in my bungalow? <laughs> Hold on to your butt. Well, we're back. Hello and welcome to the 139th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we have some news to cover regarding Jurassic World 3's release date, a new writer added to Jurassic World 3, some cool updates to the DPG website, a few items released from Iron Studios and Chronicle Collectibles, a Hot Topic design contest, and a few birthdays to celebrate. After the news, we present episode 17 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Last episode featured a few encounters with the Herrerasaurus and Hadrosaurs, as well as some nice tie-ins to Jurassic Park 3. In store for us this week are more developments on the prion disease, panic in the control tower, and a few destroyed vehicles. After Extinction Level, I'll give my thoughts in the after show, wrapping up some of the best moments from episode 17. Following that, Arjun will give us a quick look at some extinct scenes from Extinction Level. To round out the episode, we're going to do something special this week by featuring the listeners and some contributors' favorite Jurassic memories from their lifetimes. I had a great time chatting with Ted Brothers in the last episode, relaying our top five Jurassic memories, so I kind of wanted to open it up to everybody else who had something to say. Now, we got a ton of great memories sent in, some really special stuff that warms my heart, so stay tuned to hear them. For everybody listening this week, this is your random update to leave a review on our Apple Podcast page. Leave that review five stars. Leave some nice words there if you want to. You don't have to. You can just give the five stars. And uh, just do that to tell everybody that you love the podcast, you think it's great, you want to hear more, and you want more people to hear it. Leaving those reviews will certainly open it up to a wider audience and let more Jurassic Park fans catch it, especially with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom coming out. We don't want to miss any of those fans out there that are searching for podcasts. But anyway, enough of that. We've got a packed episode, so why don't we start this one off with a bit of Jurassic news from around the world. 18 minutes and your company catches up on 10 years of research. Access rate program. Access security. These pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. Boy, my head being right all the time. But today, I guarantee it. In a bit of surprising news last week, Jurassic World 3 has been given a release date. June 11th, 2021. That is such symmetry for the series. You know, Jurassic Park originally debuted June 11th, 1993, and almost 30 years later, we're gonna have the potential final installment of the saga. Do we think this third film could be the end in the entire series? It's possible. 
But really, who knows in the world of capitalism? Also in the news for Jurassic World 3 is that it will be written by Colin Trevorrow and newcomer Emily Carmichael. Now that is a departure from Colin and the often co-writer Derek Connolly, not continuing. Emily Carmichael recently co-wrote the upcoming film Pacific Rim Uprising, but for Jurassic World 3 it looks like they're going to be following the outline written by Derek and Colin, probably from their initial concept on the trilogy. Also we got word that Frank Marshall and Pat Crowley are returning to produce, alongside executive producers Steven Spielberg and Colin Trevorrow. Speaking with The Hollywood Reporter, Colin Trevorrow had this to say about the film. It's important to this franchise that we welcome new creative voices to keep our storytelling fresh and alive. I'm thrilled with the tension and beauty J.A. has brought to Fallen Kingdom, and I know Emily will add another layer of emotion to the concluding chapter of our trilogy. So we haven't even gotten to Fallen Kingdom yet, and we're getting this really awesome news about Jurassic World 3. Giving a new writer a chance to co-write with Colin is pretty fantastic news. You know, this trilogy seems to be Claire's story, and finishing the trilogy with a female co-writer is the perfect addition. So we wrote up an article about this, and uh, go check that out, and also find in that article the links to The Hollywood Reporter. So I'm sure you guys have been following the Dinosaur Protection Group and all the stuff that they're releasing on their website. This week uh, released a uh, blog post or an article all about the Gene Guard Act and a lot more stuff. There's so much to dive through. I'm not going to touch on it all, but I just kind of wanted to hit a few bullet points here for you. So the Gene Guard Act was established in 1997 as a response to the San Diego incident. This act would extend existing dinosaur specimens the same rights and protections as other endangered animals, as well as restrict any further access to the islands owned by InGen. So that's a nice setup there to Jurassic Park 3, showing the island is restricted there. It also prohibited any further cloning of new prehistoric fauna or flora by the company. In 2003, it seems like uh, they revised these strict laws surrounding, surrounding that act and uh, watered it down a bit to allow uh, the Fortune 500 company to pursue the growth of new animals to showcase in Jurassic World. Now, fast forward into 2015, after the events of Jurassic World, there was an inquiry into the bioethical misconduct um, from InGen and Jurassic World geneticist Dr. Henry Wu, the United States Congress announced that it's going to be opening an inquiry into potential violations of the Gene Guard Act. So it seems like after revising that uh, act in 2003, it kind of gave Ms. Ronnie the ability to uh, make new species and stuff like that, and, and they did all that, it seems like, on Site B. Now, um... There was a bit of information about the illegal breeding uh, surfaced online in 2015 after the inquiry um, from a hacker, actually known as Jurassic Hacker. Uh, that makes me think of Justin Peterson, Jurassic Raptor. That's really funny. I don't know if it had any ties there, but that, that's a, a comical little thing there. Um, and they, this hacker, I guess, uncovered new species that were grown in secret on Sorna. Um, experimented over a period of nine months, starting just 100 days after the company was bought by Mizrani. Now, these new species included Ankylosaurus, Ceratosaurus, Coriothosaurus, uh, Spinosaurus, which were all abandoned on Site B until surviving animals were reportedly moved to Nublar to be housed as future attractions at Jurassic World. 
Um, so that's interesting there. A lot of those we only saw on site B until they moved over. Now, without diving too deep, uh, I still have a lot to go over. It seems like the Spinosaurus maybe died there since we didn't see it in Jurassic World. It kind of died on Sorna. That's what I'm taking it as uh, on face value. Uh, like I said, there's a lot more to look into. And actually, there was a ton of leaked images from that hacker, and there's a lot to sort through there. So these images are basically loose uh, paperwork from InGen talking about uh, a lot of the dinosaur information. This first page is signed off by John Hammond himself, talking about uh, active dinosaurs, species profiles which are missing, lost on site B. So does that reference the uh, packet that uh, Roland had as he's in the Jeep and just threw off into the, the wilderness? I think it might. We also have here on another page, we have active dinosaurs um, from October 5th, 1994, establishing the dinosaurs that were counted for or accounted for um, pre and post the uh, Nublar incident back in 93. So basically this paperwork kind of showcases that the T-Rex, uh, which population didn't change from one, uh, kind of wreaked havoc on a lot of the herbivores uh, around the park and also established that the sad fact that one lame Triceratops died during the incident at Jurassic Park. Tyrannosaurus bite marks were found on the cadaver during the 1994 cleanup. Ouch, that is sad. That is really sad to think about. That Triceratops that was so beloved, you know, from the movie there, died shortly after. You know, the T-Rex found it, chewed into it, and uh, the thing never had a chance. They also do mention the raptors uh, that were discovered on Nublar during that cleanup in 1994. They found a lot of young raptor carcasses, uh, establishing those dinosaur eggs that we saw in Jurassic Park definitely be confirmed as raptor eggs. And also another touch here about the compies, which we never saw in the first film, that they were discovered on Nublar during 1994 cleanup, suggesting that they managed to reach the island via hiding in engine cargo vessels between Nublar and Site B. So that's really nice because we see them in Jurassic World uh, Fallen Kingdom. We see them in the trailer there. So everybody's been wondering, how did they get to that island? So there's your answer. So from another page here, we actually have an update that is pending from 1997. This is actually a 1993 report kind of expanded upon, but there isn't any actual update on the total dinosaurs. We have all the counts from the 1993 report. And a lot of the dinosaurs we know and love from the movies. Um, some interesting tidbits is that the, the count for the T-Rexes was previously six, kind of leaving it open that maybe the one from Jurassic Park 3 didn't have to be you know, the baby T-Rex that we saw, we got to know from the Lost World. So that makes me a little more comfortable feeling there for that. We see that there are two Carnotaurus on Sorna, which is awesome. Uh, Baryonyx, Dilophosaurus, so basically everything. All the dinosaurs that we want to know and love, uh, we didn't get to see even. Uh, they were there on Site B. There's also a list of inactive dinosaur DNA samples, which are basically the dinosaurs that they were uh, attempting to clone or, or to create at that point, um, such as a lot of the ones that we we're gonna see and that we sort of saw already, like Dimorphodon, uh, Sukumimus, Allosaurus, Herrerasaurus, so a lot of really cool uh, carnivores there, Pachyrhinosaurus, Ankylosaurus, 
uh, Apatosaurus. Um, so a lot of these things came to life and we saw them in Jurassic World. So that's kind of what that article was speaking about earlier that I read from. So like I said, there's just kind of too much information to list off here on my own. Um, we're gonna have to jump on the mics one day and give you more information, like separate episodes all about the Dinosaur Protection Group, everything that they've uncovered, all the stuff that they're doing. So there's a lot here and we'll do it again sometime soon. So head to our show notes, find a link to that article from the DPG and take a look, it's awesome. <laughs> So if you didn't hear, Chronicle Collectibles is now the distributor for Iron Studios. Uh, The pieces that we saw a few weeks back for the 25th anniversary of Jurassic Park, we saw the um, entire breakout scene from uh, Jurassic Park with the T-Rex, the fences, there's plants, there's the two vehicles, Grant, uh, Malcolm, and now Chronicle will be distributing those in the US. So um, they actually should be offering these for, for sale actually right now. If you head to their website, they have Alan Grant statue, um, hand-painted, comes with the display base with the film logo, approximately 7.5 inches tall, priced at $89. Same thing with Ian Malcolm. Actually, this one's a little bit taller, 8.3 inches tall, $89. Um, These things look cool. And uh, yes, they are part of a larger T-Rex attack that they will be offering uh, eventually here. But for now, head to our show notes, find the link to these items, make your purchases and uh, support some cool statues. Hot Topic and Four Fans by Fans have partnered up on a Jurassic Park design contest running until 11.59 p.m. PST on 3:24:18. Now they're looking for some awesome Jurassic Park fan art to be judged by John Jurassic Park, Marisol Bradford, and another mystery judge to be announced. Now for the winning design, uh, you could win a grand prize of one uh, that will win a VIP trip to Uh, Universal Studios theme park in Hollywood, California, or Orlando, valued at $2,000, including airfare for two, transportation to and from the hotel, uh, the park one-night hotel accommodations, a $250 Hot Topic gift card, $250 Visa gift card, and a signed Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom poster. Now there are runners up as well, actually four of them, and they could win $300 and a signed Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom poster. So there's a lot of uh, do's and don'ts and uh, instructions for this contest. They kind of want you to do your own thing, make it stylized, celebrate the characters, the dinosaurs, do it in scale with the dinosaurs and the, the human and all that don't copyright anything don't use terms such as beasts cute pet monstrous or evil you know avoid any kind of puns or anything like that don't submit pictures from the film they want you to create your own stuff Uh, don't uh, you know make the characters as they appear in the film kind of stylize them yourself they also don't want these dinosaurs or actors to be um, you know endorsing any kind of products or logos or anything like that they don't want it to be you know any kind of rated R material Um, they should never be depicted as beasts or monsters or or comedic or anything like that basically they want these dinosaurs to be dinosaurs they want the characters to be the characters from the film so kind of 
leave it to that. Leave it what you saw in the film. Don't kind of expand upon that. They're pretty strict though, so they want you to actually use like the pronouns uh, her and she when referring to these dinosaurs, and uh, they don't want them to be generic dinosaurs or anything. They want them to be the ones that we saw in Jurassic Park. But there is there there's so many uh, restrictions and do's and don'ts. Like I said, you're gonna have to uh, head to our link in our show notes to find that contest. Read through everything there. Make sure you're doing it uh, just the right way. But most of all, have fun creating your artwork and good luck on this contest. We do have a few birthdays to celebrate, so why don't we start off here? Actually, this one already passed, but uh, Taya Leone, Amanda Kirby from Jurassic Park 3. Her birthday was Sunday, February 25th. Ross Partridge, you know, the guy from the subway, the guy who kind of mocked Malcolm. His birthday is Monday, February 26th. Uh, Harvey Jason Ajay from The Lost World. His birthday, uh, well, it's Wednesday, I guess. He was born on a leap year, so it's supposed to be the 29th, but um, I guess we're going to celebrate it on the 28th. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard, you know her as Claire. Her birthday is Friday, March 2nd. And finally, Taylor Nichols from Jurassic Park 3, Mark Degler. Uh, his birthday is Saturday, March 3rd. Happy birthday to everybody. Everybody reach out to them on social media and wish them all a happy birthday. Oh, there it is. There it is. And now let's dive into episode 17 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Previously on Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Dr. Harding, had a good night's sleep? Good enough. I've been processing the data we gathered. When I found what I was looking for, I knew I wouldn't sleep anyway. How's she doing? He's dying. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm not the right person to take over. Tim, what's going on? We spotted a few people on the island yesterday. Can I join you? Can you shoot? Yeah. Then you're in luck. Ryan's sick. These are the guys. Andy, Laura, Dennis, Bob, and Cindy. Raymond is still with fever. What is the ETA on that supply ship? I'll let them know you'll be joining them shortly. I will leave for the dog at once. Engine control, this is the captain speaking. U.S. Navy? Our ETA is two hours. You do not want to be on that island when the airstrike hits. I'm sorry, senor. No flight zone? Extended. Incluido todas las cinco muertes. That's fast. Over there. Well, this one didn't make it. Looks like a gas can. I think you waited too long, Victor. Guess we'll follow the biggest group in the direction of the aviary. You're not spooked by these brain-dead cows now, are you? What are you aiming at? Great shot, Tim. It's not alone. Enough of this. Let's move! Episode 17, Edge of Chaos. Henry Wu enters the animal quarters of the sick animals, where Gary Harding is feeding the young ones, throwing small pieces of meat towards the compies, which they swallow down fast. Henry carries a syringe and three tubes, labeled 408A, 408B, and 408C. How are we doing, Jerry? We're losing them, Henry. A steak died this morning, and trike two and three are not eaten since yesterday. Just lying there. Well, let's hope for the best. I've got these new test samples of a new formula. I've got a good feeling about these. Can you administer them to the animals at about the same stage of the disease? I'd do it myself, but... I know. It's okay. I think it's best to administer them to our group B galleys over there, after feeding. Jerry Harding points to a group of cages labeled G1 to G6. Holding six young gallimimus, 
flying on straw. Only one of them is standing. None are very active. Okay, great. Thanks. I'll go check on Raymond. Henry leaves the samples and the syringe on the desk in the room for Jerry and leaves the animal quarters. Safety procedure stated that he was not allowed to touch the animals. Near the old research facility, Vic Hoskins and his five guards, with Sarah and Tim, walked through the jungle, arriving back at the cars. Vic, walking past the second Humvee, the one with the transport cage on the back, looks down, seeing the muddy trail the tires made when sliding in a quarter circle across the road. The car now turned in a 90 degree angle, facing the jungle instead of the road ahead. Hoskins sighs, while moving his hand across a scratch in the metal ending in a dent in the door of the car. But this wasn't the worst of it. Looking up, Vic now looks back at the third car, at least that one wasn't touched. Then he looks at the first car. Damn creatures. Knocked over and trampled, laying upside down, 20 yards down the road. Two of the guards, Andy and Dennis, sit crouched down at the trampled car. The front of the car is completely crushed, the bottom bent, lifting the back higher up. Doors, hood and other pieces are thrown off and spread across the 20 yards of road ahead. Blood is smeared across the car, most likely from the animal that hit it, hurting itself on the shredded metal. A trail of blood droplets leading into the jungle. I think you shouldn't have spooked those... what did you call them? Rain-dead cows. Don't get smart, or you two can walk back to the village. Get in the back, we're moving. Then he yells at the men at the first car. Take what you can use and get in the other car, we're moving. All guards Andy, Dennis, Bob and Sidney now move to the last car. Vic's car with Laura behind the wheel started moving. The moment Tim and Sarah are in the back, the door slams shut as the car moves, taking a narrow turn, navigating through the rubble on the street. In the worker village, Raymond is lying in a bedroom, heavily sweating, in a single person's bed, facing a small square window overlooking a few trees with the wall beyond. Left and right of the bed are doors. The only other piece of furniture in the room is a waist-high cabinet at the head end of the bed, with drawers. There's a knock on the door, left on the bed. Yes! Christina! Henry Wu enters the room and checks for Raymond, <sighs> noticing the sweat on his forehead and he takes a towel from the cabinet, wiping the sweat away. He looks worried. Raymond, you don't look so good. You're burning up. Henry takes the towel to the small bathroom, right behind the next door, where he quickly looks around, a sink with a mirror. A drinking glass with a toothbrush in it, a glass shelf in front of it, and a toilet. From the bathroom, Wu calls out to Raymond. I just came from Ryan. He's not doing that much better. What? Probably some virus going around here. Wu puts a towel under a stream of lukewarm water in the sink and goes back to wash Raymond's head and neck, while Raymond keeps mumbling incoherent words. Groceries, Christ. Raymond coughs. Henry Wu looks very worried. Afraid Raymond might have the effects from the prion disease, though way too fast since the attack. It can't be. Who decides to take a tissue sample, calming Raymond? He takes a syringe from his coat. Raymond is hardly moving, making it easy for Henry to take the sample. Easy, Raymond. It'll be alright. I just need to check something. Henry puts the sample in his coat, then takes the glass from the sink, quickly washes it and fills the glass with water, putting it at Raymond's lips. Drink. I'll be right back. I'll get someone to bring you something to eat. He puts the glass down on the cabinet next to the bed and he moves for the door. Before closing it, he quickly looks back at Raymond, who keeps mumbling. Then he softly closes the door behind him. Finally, having woken up, 
The commander of the three control workers now enters the control room, finding the three men looking together at one monitor. Two of them standing behind the first, looking over his shoulder. The first worker looks back to the other two. Nothing. Good morning. What did I miss? All three workers now look back at their commander, arriving late, silent for a moment, thinking, where the hell have you been? But no one saying it out loud. The third worker decides to share the highlights. Mr. Mizrani left a half an hour ago for the harbor, you know, to get back to the mainland. Uh, his pilot is still sick. Good, good. Not really. We've been trying to reach him and as well as the security detail out there looking for our visitors, but we have not been successful on both so far. Why would you be trying to reach the boss? At this moment, the three workers look at each other. Well, sir, just after Mr. Mastrani left, we received a call from the United States Navy captain telling us to prepare for evac. We have less than an hour and a half to get the team back here before they'll come and pick us up. Confused, the commander now looks at the three workers. They have no jurisdiction here. What? Why would they want to evacuate us? They were not very clear. Something about an outbreak? I remember he said outbreak. Because it made me think of that Dustin Hoffman movie, you know? We have no contagious monkeys here! Our dinosaurs, sir? I don't know anything about these dinosaurs carrying diseases. Well, the US Navy thinks they do. And they want us off, so they can destroy the island. Get Masrani back! Like we said, we're trying. I can give you the captain of the supply ship, which would take Mr. Masrani. Do that! In this episode you heard Ross Lane as Henry Wu, Stephen Hurl as Jerry Harding, Jaroslav Kosmina as Vic Hoskins, Jennifer Terrick as Sarah Harding, myself as Tim Murphy, Tom Fishington as Raymond, Jack de la Mer as the commander, Jay Jurassic as control worker number one, Timothy Glover as control worker number two, and Brad Jost as control worker number three. Thank you for listening, and until the next time of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. All right, so there you have it. That was episode 17 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. That one was called Edge of Chaos. So this time we pick it up with Henry Wu going to visit uh, Jerry Harding in the sick bay where all the sick dinosaurs are. And it's just, it's such a sad place. Really sounds like it. Just dinosaurs are dying off left and right, or, or they're definitely sick. And, um, you know, Henry Wu brings in these three test samples to administer to the uh, diseased dinosaurs, I guess, to hopefully, you know, maybe make them better. I don't really know what the, the case is there, but uh, I'm assuming that's what it would be. And, um, yeah, so Jerry lets them know, you know, a few more have died and, and are definitely sick. And, um, yeah, so it's a kind of a quick scene, but it kind of sets the tone a little bit. And Henry is then off to go visit uh, the pilot, Raymond, who we found a few episodes back. I think he was bit by a compie or something. And, then, you know, he just got sick really quickly after. And it's we're, we're assuming that, yeah, you know, the guy's got the disease here. And it's rapidly, you know, fast-paced, destroying his body. So um, the next up here, we go back to the old research facility with Vic Hoskins and his team. And uh, they kind of get back to their vehicles after that whole uh, Herrerasaurus and the Parasaurolophus, you know, bit where Hoskins shot off his gun and uh, the Hadrosaurus trampled everything. And it turns out that they trampled some of the vehicles. It looks like several of them are destroyed or banged up. So, um, yeah, I don't think spooking the, the Hadrosaurus with uh, the gun really... Uh, 
was a good idea. It didn't really seem like a good idea then, and after the fact, definitely not a good idea. Um, but they take what they can use and they head out. Um, and I guess, you know, they're still on the pace to try to find, you know, these people that are out there on the island. You know, Grant and uh, uh, who else? Eric and uh, the Kirbys and all that. But uh, no luck there. Um, next up, it looks like we're back at the Worker Village. We're all over the place in this episode, and I think that's good. It's kind of getting a, a feel for all these different people throughout the story. And uh, so we're back at the Worker Village with Henry and Raymond. Um, Raymond, let's face it, the, the guy does not look good. Like I said, this thing is just ravaging his body. He's, um, he's burning up. He doesn't look good. Henry saw um, some guy named Ryan, too who didn't seem to look good either and um you know henry's just like look am i seeing these effects is this really what i'm seeing here this this prion disease it's just too fast how is it reacting this fast it's never done this before and um he's just confused about the whole thing and, and raymond's over in the corner muttering to himself incoherently you don't really know what the guy's saying and uh he sounds he sounds like it just sounds really bad for him. Really bad news. I don't know what his outcome is going to be. I'm going to say it's probably not going to be too good. Um, Henry tries this uh, syringe to get a sample from Raymond. Um, you know, he apologizes and then he leaves. He's out of there. So he's making his way around. But um, leaving all those people behind, we're back at the control tower. And, um, you know, previously we had heard the Navy incoming here in the in the control tower. Like, you guys got to get off this island, get everybody out of there. You have two hours or whatever. Um, so the commander who was, I guess, asleep or just out of the office or wherever uh, at that moment, he comes back in and everybody's like, dude, like, where were you? They were all kind of thinking that to themselves. Like, where have you been? You missed this entire thing where... The Navy called in and they're like, you have two hours to get out of there or or else you're blown up, I guess. Um, so the workers relay their status, you know, to the commander. Um, Mizrani's heading to the dock. The pilot is sick. They've been trying to reach the security detail. Hoskins group, no luck on anybody, I guess. Uh, so they're kind of like all alone up in this tower, it feels like. And... Uh, the commander, they tell the commander about, uh, you know, the Navy calling and evac uh, evacuating the island. And now they have like less than an hour and a half to get everything out of there. It seems like they just took a, a half an hour and they're like, guys, uh, what should we do? Should we, should we leave? No, let's just sit here for 30 minutes and talk about it. I, I don't know. So they have an hour and a half, I guess, at this point. The commander starts getting angry. He's wondering why why the evac was called in the first place, that they have no jurisdiction there. Um, and, and they are kind of telling him that they heard the Navy mention an outbreak. And that's when they all start to kind of wonder and worry, like, what is this outbreak? And they've never heard of a contagion as far as they all know. Um, but they they decide after all that to try to, uh, you know, contact the supply ship that Mizrani said he's going to be boarding to leave the island. Um, that's their, their big decision. We got to contact Mizrani and find out what to do. Should we should we leave? I mean, the Navy said they're going to blow it up, but let's find out what Mizrani has to say. It's not like any of these guys are just like, I'm out of here. They're, they're staying their ground, so I mean, good on them, I guess, but probably not the best idea. Um, one thing to note that I, I found interesting was that the commander was coughing a bit in this scene. 
I don't know if that was, you know, just part of the uh, script or, you know, the guy is maybe infected with something. Um, you know, maybe he's going to take a turn like Raymond. I don't know. I feel like that was a bit on the nose. We're going to wonder why. Like, this guy's coughing in a bit. Um, probably not going to be too good for him either. Um, but yeah, that was about it. You know, there was, there was a lot in there to, to kind of wrangle around, but, um, it was a really good episode. I love this one a lot. There was a great job by the cast. And, um, one thing I love about Extinction Level and Arjun, how you're putting these all together is, you know, you, you get everybody to record all this stuff separately, all these different recordings, piece it all together to create scenes like, like, um, like the tower. Like it was just so awesome to kind of hear the back and forth between the commander and all the different uh you know control workers in there and just hearing all the sound effects and everything it's just so great to kind of hear that all come together especially like so many different people from the community i know i talk about that every week but it really feels special um several you know voices all going at once and coming together for this one awesome story i just love it but yeah, so many voices here. We had Arjun, Ross, Steve, Yaroslav, Jennifer, uh, Tom, Jack, Jay, Tim, myself. Um, and we had music by James Horner, Randy Edelman, Jerry Goldsmith. It was all perfect. Everything fits so well. And uh, I love it. Can't wait to see what happens next. So as usual, it will be another two weeks. So we'll get that one on Monday, March 12th, episode 18 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. We're out of a job. Don't you mean extinct? Extinct scenes, or scenes that didn't make the cut into extinction level. In this episode, Henry Wu mentions one of the guards, Ryan, also being sick. Hoskins also mentioned him in episode 15, filling Ryan's spot with Sarah Harding. Ryan is one of the characters from the original screenplay, but apart from his name, his story changed, now making place for Sarah, with the rest of his part completely cut from extinction level. In the original screenplay, Ryan would be part of a pickup team of two military helicopters, picking up Sarah, Tim, Boo, Nick Van Owen and their pilot Raymond. Just before the team was picked up, they were attacked by Tyrannosaurs, one of which would be identified as limping slightly. This attack scattered the team before the two helicopters would arrive and Sarah got separated from the rest. They picked up the others and while one helicopter left immediately to return Wu and Tim for pressing tasks, Ryan was part of the crew of the second helicopter that scanned the ground a bit longer to search for Sarah. Their helicopter would be attacked by Pteranodons, which is a scene of course inspired by the Lost World's screenplay, and would eventually be part of Jurassic World with Masrani's helicopter. While the first helicopter got away, Ryan's helicopter would crash, and the survivors, Ryan, Joe and Simon, would decide to walk back, running into Sarah along the way. On the way back, they would run into several dinosaurs, one of which would be the tiger-striped raptors, when they were walking alongside the wall, close to an outpost on the wall that was abandoned because of the evacuation that was in progress inside the enclosed village. The attack would severely hurt Ryan and killing Joe. Sarah would continue on her own for the gates and get help, while Ryan and Simon would be discovered in time for evac. I won't go into Sarah's fate right now. Ryan would quickly be flown back for medical attendance, which would lead into the opening scene of Crichton's Jurassic Park prologue, The Bite of the Raptor, a scene which I always loved, and would serve as one of the opening scenes for my second screenplay. How Sarah's team got stranded in the first place is a story that involves the clash of the raptor packs, 
as we heard in episode 9 of Extinction Level, but this will be a subject for another extinct scene. went and made a new dinosaur? That doesn't look very scary. You are alive. I start to eat you. When it comes to Jurassic Park, for everyone here on the podcast and you, the listeners, these films, books, toys, theme parks, all spark great memories for us. Whether it was 25 years ago or just yesterday, something special happens when you let Jurassic Park into your life. Corny, I I know, but uh, it really has had an effect on all of us. If you are listening to this, then it has affected you. I recently reached out to Jurassic Park fans in the community to tell us your top five or favorite memories from your life related to Jurassic Park just to get a little bit of insight here as we move towards the 25th anniversary of this film franchise. So what you're about to hear is a collection of emails and messages read by myself and a few voicemails from you, the Jurassic Park fans. Uh, Hey, Jurassic Park podcast. This is Todd from Atlanta, Georgia. I just wanted to leave my Jurassic Park memories. Um, I was six years old when the movie came out, and I don't remember seeing any actual commercials or trailers, but I remember being really excited about it. Um, Of course, like a lot of kids, I was obsessed with dinosaurs, and my parents were worried that it would be too violent, too scary for me, and so they did a sneaky thing where uh, I was away at my grandma's house one weekend, and my parents went and saw it without me. And then when I came back home, they told me they had seen it, and they told me that it was too scary for me to watch in the theater. I remember feeling really betrayed, but I still got into the toys and the books and everything, all the merchandise for, like, the next several months. So even before I saw the movie, you know, I was really into um, all the merchandising that went along with it. And finally, when it came out on VHS, they let me watch it. Um, I remember my mom covering my eyes during the scariest parts, uh, like when, when Gennaro gets eaten and when uh, Ray Arnold's arm, when you see the detached arm, I remember her covering my eyes. But uh, the next morning, I remember my parents getting ready for church, and I snuck off to the living room and fast-forwarded to all the violent, scary parts that my mom had covered my eyes for, and I watched them for myself. Um, so uh, that's just uh, a little bit about my history with Jurassic Park. I've been a fan ever since, really happy that there's all this uh, new stuff uh, coming out for the 25th anniversary, and obviously the new movie and uh, the Jurassic World Evolution game, which I am super stoked about. But uh, hey, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, and uh, have a good day. Bye-bye. From Master Builder 164 on YouTube. Number five, when I saw Jurassic Park 3D in a theater back in 2012. Number four, when I got the red T-Rex on my 12th or 13th birthday, I destroyed the cardboard Ford Explorer it came with. Number three, when I saw Jurassic World at the midnight release. Number two, playing with my toys in my backyard. For some reason, I played with my JP dinos with my Transformers, so it was more dinosaurs versus Transformers. It's so funny when I look back at it. Number one, this one is a sad one. I remember getting a brown Triceratops from the Jurassic Park dinosaurs toy line. My grandfather was in town and I think he took me to the mall and I begged him to take me to KB Toys and he got me the Triceratops. That was one of the last things he ever got me before he passed away. Well, besides his love and care, which was more important. I was too young to understand death, so it hits me harder now that I'm older. But I know he's always in my heart. 
I loved my grandfather so much, I put his name on one of the feet of my Triceratops. Sorry to end it on a sad note, but this will always be my memory. Hey there, this is Dan Squatch 200 Squats on Instagram. I just wanted to share with you my uh, favorite Jurassic moment of what I enjoyed as a kid. So, how I started off watching the Jurassic Park franchise was with my grandfather as a kid at five years old watching the VHS. Now, I, for one, did not have the chance myself to watch the film in 1993, because I was born in 1998. Um, but again, it was, it was a memory I remember fondly. I used to watch it with him all the time. I actually still have the VHS tapes on me, and honestly, I remember the feeling that Jurassic Park gave me, and that was, like, how small we were compared to the animals that walked the earth that Steven Spielberg brought back. It truly was awesome, not to mention, yeah, were amazing. Like, Jeff Goldblum, for one, loved him. Uh, I still love him. One of my favorite actors. Um, but, yeah, that was my Jurassic moment, and since I watched it on VHS, that was the first time I fell in love with Jurassic Park, and I, and I proudly still am. Anyway, thanks, Jurassic Park uh, Podcast. I'll talk to you later. Here's an email from Brent. One of the great JP memories I had as a kid was when my family and I went to the drive-in theater to see The Lost World in the 90s. I remember the board meeting scene in the beginning, and it was so funny because when I finally rewatched the movie again sometime later, that scene was deleted, and for the longest time, I thought that I had made that up in my mind. Another very awesome memory was on Christmas 1998, I believe when I got the Mobile Command trailer from Santa, and it was the greatest thing in the world to me. Hello everyone, it's me, it's Jen, it's Jurassic Jen from Instagram. Um, I wanted to share my Jurassic Park memories. We all know I'm obsessed with Jurassic Park and it means so much to me. I have so many memories. One memory that I'll always remember is because I became so obsessed with the movie that I had my little brother and sister reenact scenes from it for me. I think we did all the Tim and Lex scenes. Of course, I was Lex, and my little brother was Tim, and I always made my sister be the dinosaurs, whether she was the T-Rex or the raptors. To this day, she's still mad, but she was the star of the show, so we always bother her about that. It also means a lot to me because my dad had taken me to see it. He actually forced me to see the movie because I was scared. And after that, it was just magical to me, and I made him take me like nine more times. So it was something that me and my dad shared, and my dad had passed away later, a few years later. So it just means so much to me. So that's where all my Jurassic Park memories and love come from. So I'm happy to share them with you, and I can't wait to hear everybody else's memories. This is from the Jurassic Man on YouTube. Number one, seeing Jurassic Park 3 for the first time, getting me into Jurassic Park. Number two, getting my first toy in 2004, with the React Attack Spinosaurus. Number three, watching Jurassic World with my family for the first time in theaters. Number four, getting started on my collection with the Bull T-Rex as my first in 2016. And number five, we'll be buying the new toys in April and watching Fallen Kingdom with my family again. I think for me, one of the most special memories I have of the Jurassic franchise is actually quite recent and that would be the way they handled the viral marketing for Jurassic World. So obviously I'm one of the younger people here on the podcast, um, so I think for me obviously Jurassic World has resonated with me a lot more than it has perhaps older fans, and 
Part of that really came through the tremendous job they did with the viral marketing. Obviously, you had what they did at Waterloo Station, which I wish I had got up to, where they did um, a whole kind of Isla Nublar kiosk, if you like, which looked really, really cool, um, with the raptor cage, the raptor squad, everything else there. That was awesome. You also had the Mosasaur on the bank of the Thames. I'm hoping they bring that back this year so I can see it. Um, but really what stood out to me was the way that Universal handled the Jurassic World website. So obviously we had the um, Masrani Global website, which I believe was handled by Jack Ewins and everyone else. Um, I'm sorry if I didn't say your surname right there, Jack. I think it's like Ewins, yeah, kind of. I don't know. Um, but yeah, continuing that thought, I kind of really liked how, obviously we had the Masrani Global, like I said, off to one side, but the bulk of the Jurassic World website was really, really well done. It was like um, visiting the website of Fort Park or Chessington here in the UK, where you get really immersed in looking at all the rides, kind of actually planning out your trip and what you want to go on. So the fact that Universal went to uh, the extent of creating so much content, which really felt immersive and fresh, I think was incredibly nice and it made the whole marketing campaign for Jurassic World feel a lot more inclusive and a lot more, I suppose, unique. It's definitely stood out to me and it's inspired a lot of the kind of marketing choices that I'd like to make getting into marketing uh, currently as a career. So yeah, for me, Jurassic World's marketing is always going to be a special memory because I've never felt so immersed in a park before. Uh, within these films to the extent that I've actually really wanted to go and visit it. This one's from Joshua on Facebook. My biggest Jurassic memory is playing with all the first generation Jurassic Park toys, specifically the young T-Rex, the Stegosaurus, and about eight raptors, an Alan Grant figure for the hero and a Nedry to always get eaten. I loved playing in the backyard. It made me feel like it was a jungle. Hey guys, uh... Relatively new listener. I uh, started in January. Really enjoying the podcast. Um, just, I can't thank you enough for this podcast. It just brings back so many awesome memories. Um, I remember very specifically when I was young and I would go for uh, walks with my family. I had the uh, juvenile T-Rex. Um, and this probably embarrassed uh, my parents to no end. But I would definitely walk that with us on our family walk. Um, I just would like tie it up on a leash and walk it around as if we were walking the dog with us. And I'm sure we got a lot of strange looks, but that is just like one of the memories of Jurassic Park and playing with the toys that will like always stick out in my head. Um, I think we're in a very similar place. You know, I have a couple of young boys myself. They're really into the Jurassic Park Lego game. Um, I think they're I know they're too young to really appreciate the movies, but, you know, they already have the groundwork. They love playing with the toys. And I know their first memories of it are going to be these Lego games and these Lego toy sets, and they're going to be able to recreate everything. And it's going to be, it's, it's so much from, from my end. And I know as your boy gets older, you're going to have a lot of those same experiences. And it is just amazing. And it's just going to continue the fandom uh, even further. Anyway, awesome show. Can't wait to hear more from you guys. Keep up the good work. This was an email from Danny. Number one, watching the first movie as a seven-year-old and having dinosaurs on the brain. Number two, got an early Christmas that year. My parents went to the store separately and they both ended up buying the command compound on the same day. It was hilarious and my cousin ended up getting one of those. We grew up fanboying together. Number three, 
Reading and rereading the book during recess. Number four, anxiously waiting for any scrap of news from TV and magazines about JP-related stuff before the internet was a thing. Nintendo Power and Disney Adventures were where it was at. Number five, fantasizing about owning all the JP video games, even from systems I didn't own or knew existed. I'm looking at you, 3DO. Number six, most people I grew up with knew I loved dinosaurs. Some still call me Daniel Sor. I'm 31. Hi, Brad and the Jurassic Park Podcast. This is Victoria from Victoria's Cantina and Cantina Chatter, calling with my favorite Jurassic memories. And I guess you gotta go back to the origin of this whole thing. 1993, I was eight years old, I was hugely into dinosaurs, and was eagerly looking forward to Jurassic Park coming out. Uh, I was very fortunate to have seen the film in the theater with my little brother, my father, and our uncle. And uh, the whole thing was glorious. The most memorable thing that sticks out in my head about it was uh, during the T-Rex breakout scene, uh, the T-Rex plunges its head down into the glass at the very top of the Jungle Explorer. That terrified me. And uh, the raptors in the kitchen. I mean, just the whole thing. It, it was just amazing. And uh, of course, the next memory, and this should come as no surprise, the toys. I love the toys, and I have so many unique memories surrounding uh, how I obtained each of the toys that I still have in my collection from back then. Uh, just getting certain ones for Christmas, uh, begging my mother to buy me the young T-Rex, and then working it off with chores, and uh, saving my money to buy up certain dinosaurs. Uh, my brother got the command compound for Christmas, and uh, we'd combine his dinosaurs and mine, and we'd you know go all out in a huge Jurassic Park playtime event. Uh, we'd take him outside, and it was just fun. And I have so many great memories there. Uh, the Lost World, same thing. Saw that in the theater with my brother, my sister, and our aunt. She took us to see it. And uh, then going to look for the toys in the store. And I didn't buy quite as many for The Lost World, but uh, I definitely did get some of them. And, uh, you know, lots of memories with that. Jurassic Park 3, uh, my siblings saw it with a different uncle. And um, wasn't really tuned to the toys that time around. But, you know, it was a Jurassic film. It was still fun. And then, uh, of course, uh, there was a long, dark time until we got to Jurassic World in 2015. And now, when I look back at 2015, um, Jurassic World really sticks out for me. I mean, it was a long time without a Jurassic film, and uh, all the hype and, you know, all the excitement uh, was really at an all-time high, I think, in terms of, you know, something coming back. And Star Wars has come back a couple times now, but Jurassic Park, this was like its first, like, really big comeback and uh, for, for me, that was really awesome. And, you know, just getting back into collecting the toys. And uh, even though the toys weren't that great, you know, there's still a lot of memories there. It was still Jurassic. It was still fun. And uh, now with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom coming out, um, you know, we're making new memories. And there's so much to look forward to with the Mattel toys. And uh, there's a Jurassic World 3 coming out in a few years. So it's just such a great time to be a Jurassic fan and a Jurassic collector. And uh, I'm really excited about the whole thing. I say bring it all on. Here's to making new Jurassic memories. Here's an email from Brianna. Number five. I have loved Jurassic Park and all the following movies since I was young. My parents liked that I liked it. However, recently we watched all four of them in order. And now they have a better appreciation for the movies. I really like that I can share my love for the dinosaurs and all things Jurassic with my parents. 
In fact, I have the JP3 satellite phone as my ringtone, and whenever it rings, my dad jumps. I love that he gets the reference. Number four. One year for Christmas, my parents gave me an inflatable dinosaur, which looking back, I'm pretty sure was actually Godzilla, but at the time, it was my very own dinosaur. That same year, I also got a tiger-striped safari limited velociraptor toy that was on my wish list. It was a dynamite Christmas. Number three. My best friend and I grew up playing with our dinosaur toys. We loved the Jurassic movies, Disney's Dinosaur, and the Land Before Time series. We each had a herd of carnivores who were the villains and a herd of herbivores who were the good guys. We played with these dinosaurs all the time and had so many adventures with them. I will always cherish those memories. And I still have the dinosaurs. Number two, that same friend mentioned above moved to New Zealand after we graduated high school. We still stay in touch and of course continue to love all things Jurassic. When Jurassic World came out in theaters, she was visiting me in Ohio. We were able to catch one of its last showings. I was so glad to have the opportunity to see it with her. Number one. Again, that same friend introduced me to the Jurassic movies. I remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park. It was with her during a sleepover and my mom got a candid picture of us watching it. Our faces are priceless, absolute joy and terror. Hey guys, Yaroslav, um, Jaros 428 on Twitter. Um, I'm just calling to uh, see what memories I can offer that I have um, for Jurassic Park or Lost World, whatever. Um, it's kind of, I don't really have any structure to it, so I'm going to try to keep it short. Um, but the memories I enjoy the most are actually um, really fragmented memories, ones that I don't have like a clear like start and beginning to an experience so it's stuff like uh my earliest is probably uh when i first saw jurassic park uh back in i want to say 94 i was born in 93 so it's kind of a stretch to say i remember anything from being one year old but i do remember watching my father and um just this the part when the helicopter enters um, Isla Nubar. That's like the only part I remember from the film. Uh, the second memory is actually seeing the Lost World in theaters. And the only part of that I can remember for some reason is, um, when Eddie arrives to rescue the guys from the trailer and it's just that overhead shot of him running up alongside the trailer and see it hanging over the cliff. So I always remember that. And, uh, I don't know. Stuff like that is, is neat to me because, uh, I'm just kind of, I'm sure I'm not making this up, but, you know, when I'm remembering this stuff, but um, it's just something very uh, distinct um, that sticked, uh, stuck to me. And, of course, I just remember seeing the toys in, in the stores and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I never actually got the toys, unfortunately. Um, that happened a lot later in life. But um, I just, I really do miss all the, um, all the hype and uh, the energy back when those films were um, being released. Because, um, you know, you're a kid, you're smaller, everything seems bigger to you, and, you know, it's just a good time. And and uh, I feel like we kind of, at least I kind of got that feeling again recently with the Jurassic World uh, Fallen Kingdom trailer hype and everything that was going on. So, you know, it's kind of like a nice throwback to that recently, and I've been enjoying it. So hopefully you guys have similar um, uh, feelings for the new film and uh, yeah I like to hear everyone else's memories because 
you know, Jurassic memories are the best. All right. Thanks, Chris. Here's an email from Luke. I remember seeing each film for the first time so clearly. I saw Jurassic Park at our local cinema for my birthday. I hid under my jacket scared throughout the entire raptor in the kitchen scene. For The Lost World, I insisted on booking tickets for opening night so I could see it before anybody else. I messed up though and booked the tickets for several nights after its release. By the time my showing came around, all my friends had already seen it. I saw Jurassic Park 3 drunk. It was the only time I went to the cinema drunk. I was disappointed with myself for this. However, after watching it a second time, sober, I realized it was probably a better movie when I was intoxicated. I took a girl I liked with me to Jurassic World on its opening night. We planned to see the movie, then have dinner, but as the movie finished, I convinced her to skip the dinner plans and see it with me again. I don't know how impressed she was, but personally, it was one of the best dates I've been on. Hi, uh, my name is Paul. I was going to uh, talk about some uh, Jurassic Park memory or, or memories. Anyway, I'll just talk about this. Uh, a few things. Ju uh, June 11, 1993. I'm 10 years old. Go into the first show, and it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. And I feel like I'm the first one watching it. I know I'm... But there was... I get there like at 9.30 in the morning already my dad took me it's right next to his work i go with my older sister incredible it was incredible it was like it was basically like basically my 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 generation's version of like seeing 2001 or star wars on the big screen like i nothing has been topped in the theater for me and um like later on i ended up my parents got me a made me a birthday cake with a t-rex ripping a goat in half and you know you can see the entrails and stuff it was awesome and then the jurassic park pinball machine came out and speaking of do you know how um in the jurassic park pinball machine like the ian malcolm's character goes go 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 he doesn't say that in the movie but he does say it later on i think as a reference in independence day i i always thought that was interesting anyway um oh yeah and then i uh Later on, I made a, a professional wrestling ballet with action figures for my dissertation, at, uh, and I used the Thrasher T-Rex from uh, from Lost World and used it to like eat one of the composers at the very end of the video. Had to use that. I dressed up as Dennis Nedry when I uh, went over to visit my girlfriend to propose, and I took one of the uh, the Barbasol canisters. You know, and, 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 you know, one of the replicas and put, you know, will you marry me on one of the embryo, uh, canisters. Anyway, it worked out. And I later made a video about Dennis Nedry. My favorite, um, you know, the, that, I'm the guy that did that magic word thing, by the way. God, I'm just rambling. Oh, but my favorite memory to this day is I was speaking at a psychiatric hospital to some patients and I play piano and I'm talking with them and one guy, comes up to me uh, and he says hey do you know the theme to Jurassic Park and I said do you mean the main theme or or when they first you know arrive on the, to the island on the helicopter and he says man both so there I am and I'm in, a, in, a, in the hospital I'm playing the Jurassic Park theme the main theme and all of a sudden all these patients start gathering around the piano and we're there and like and we're singing, and we're all humming, singing the main theme. 
done. And the best part, of course, in that theme is when he goes, bomb, bomb. Anyway, and people actually did the crescendos thing in that. It was awesome. And some people had hands in the air. It was the best memory I've, I've ever had with Jurassic Park, and I got a lot of them. But um, anyway, join the podcast, and um, thanks. Bye. This one's from Arjun on Twitter. I can't record or call in at the moment, but one of my most special moments is working on the visitor center I built back in 1993 and 94, using clay, paper, and wood. I had the whole kitchen set built, a lot of the restaurant and the control room too, and bits of the hatchery. I stopped when I realized the whole thing was going to be 2 meters in diameter. I didn't have the room for that. I do still have the notebook with notes and drawings and some of the built elements in a box somewhere. Sadly, no photos of the finished objects. I remember taking the Kenner T-Rex hatchling with the breakaway egg and putting it in my grandmother's fern garden and taking pictures of it with a Polaroid camera like I was on Hammond's expedition in the Lost World or something and got you know actual pictures of a baby T-Rex in the wild and I still have those Polaroid pictures somewhere. And as an adult, summer equals Jurassic Park vibes for me. As soon as it starts to get warm and green outside, I always get nostalgic for playing Operation Genesis with the smell of rain kind of blowing through my room or playing The Lost World uh, for PlayStation or Warpath for PlayStation, which had such cool environments and they were so kind of almost real that, you know, it still is something that I look for when I look for places uh, to go hiking where I can kind of imagine that I'm in those environments from those games. G'day Brad, how's it going? Um, I just uh, thought I would share a couple of my my memories of uh, Jurassic Park with you and with with the rest of the fans. Um, so yeah, seeing Jurassic Park at the cinema for the first time is one of my most vivid early memories. Uh, I think that's mostly because just popping to the cinema was uh, not as easy for me and my family growing up. Um, I grew up in regional Australia, about four hours' drive to our nearest cinema. Um, so, you know, just, just popping down and seeing a movie was something we never really did growing up. Um, but, but this time, my family ended up surprising me by organising a holiday to see relatives in Melbourne. Um, uh, my mum had made up some story about wanting to go Christmas shopping with my auntie, um, and as a seven-year-old, the idea of shopping with my mum and aunt sounded like complete torture. Anyway, we get to Melbourne, we meet up with uh, family and we head off to the shopping center. I was so grumpy and tired, um, you know, from the drive up and was protesting a bit about being dragged to this uh, shopping center the whole time. Uh, you know, just being that annoying kid that was just like, just I, I'm seven years old, just let me stay at home. Um, finally, after about 30 minutes of walking around the shopping center, my uncle said he needed to pee, so the group split off into two. Um, my father, my cousin, and myself uh, went with my uncle um, in the guise of using the bathroom and getting snacks. Uh, turns out he was actually taking us in the back entrance of the cinema to avoid all the posters and promotional cutouts. So, yeah, we walk through this door into the main lobby of the cinema and my dad and uncle start laughing and it kind of just clicks what we're actually, what, what we're actually doing and where we are. Um, needless to say, uh, seven-year-old me absolutely lost my <laughs> I was freaking excited. It was crazy. I was like the girl in the RSVP video that keeps thinking about the cats. Like, I just kept 
randomly bursting out into tears every time like I realized what we were doing um you know we finally take our seats um and it was opening weekend so the place was like packed um my uncle could only get us seats in the front section of the theater so we were about 12 rows from the front of the screen which as a kid was not a, a huge problem but it did mean uh when the t-rex broke out of her paddock um it felt like it was to scale um it was huge and like slightly craning my neck to, to look up and see this thing it, it just felt freaking amazing like I can even remember every time uh, she roared on screen, you could feel the 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 sound and the vibration in in your chest. I was absolutely amazed. But I I think what uh, really stands out the most um, about about this experience and this memory is um, when we actually walked out of the cinema um, and we're like, you know, just super excited. We'd just seen dinosaurs for the for the first time and. Um, you know, obviously me and my cousin were, were thrilled and we're, that's like all we could talk about walking around. But um, just uh, seeing how uh, how excited and how happy my, my dad and my uncle were as adults seeing the film. Um, yeah, their their experience was just as just as awesome and uh, as memorable as, as ours. So, yeah, following on from that, um, getting home from, from that amazing experience, I... I needed more Jurassic Park. I, I needed more Alan Grant, and um, I was watching something on TV and realized it was based on a book. Uh, naturally, I begged my mum to to buy this book, and being that I was seven, I wasn't going to read a novel on my own. So that meant that mum would uh, would be reading it to me. Um, that idea turned out to be an unmitigated disaster. Um, my mum read the first chapter to me, going in blind herself. Um, and I don't know if you have ever read the books yourself, but basically the first chapter has a newborn baby uh, getting its face eaten off by compies. So, yeah, not not really age appropriate. So after that, mum started to read the book whilst I was at school so she could make notes and create um, an age appropriate abridged version of the book. Um, I now have like 10 copies of that uh, that book by Michael Crichton. Um, I kind of collect collect it when I go traveling overseas for the different cover art. Um, but I still have that original copy with all of my mum's notes and highlighter on it. So it's it's pretty special to me. Um, I'm just going to skip forward. My next couple of memories are around Jurassic World. Um, and I think it's that first memory of seeing Jurassic Park in the cinema um, where I became a lifelong fan of the JP universe. Um, and that's really uh, what's provided me with these next couple of opportunities. Um, locally, huge JP nut. So I was totally pumped when I was offered tickets to the Jurassic World movie premiere here in Melbourne. Uh, trust me, it sounds a lot more glamorous than it actually was. I mean, instead of getting Bryce Dallas Howard, the celebrities in attendance were uh, a couple of the local Real Housewives of Melbourne. So, you know, we, we, we got the bronze medal of celebrities there, but um, it was still pretty cool to go to an event that was celebrating one of my favourite uh, franchises. Um, the final memory that I'd like to share was around attending Jurassic World The Exhibition. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but the exhibition actually launched its world tour here in Melbourne, and it was the only city in Australia to host it, which was pretty cool. Uh, that meant that it was packed, um, 
and you know it was busy and full of kids um and i loved it i mean it was amazing to see all the props from the movie itself in the creation lab but i think what really stuck out uh to me was um the energy and the excitement of watching all these kids running around um seeing their faces and their energy just reminded me of how i felt um the first time i saw a dinosaur um and then, yeah, with that, uh, the success was pretty huge here in Melbourne for the exhibition. Um, and I'm not sure if they'd done it in the States, but um, the museum put on an event called Jurassic Nights at Jurassic World. Uh, every Friday for the month of June, the exhibition was open after hours for adults only. And so it had a bar and a DJ. And it was pretty cool to be able to, like, yeah, walk through this exhibition with, like, a cocktail and stuff. So... Yeah, naturally, I made all of my work colleagues uh, come for drinks on a Friday night at Jurassic World, the exhibition. Um, yeah, they're, they're my memories of uh, Jurassic Park um, through throughout the years. Um, thanks thanks for putting this together, Brad. It's, uh, it's awesome. Uh, love your work. and uh, Thank you so much, everybody, uh, for sharing Peace, your mate. Jurassic memories. I am so very thankful that you all trust in this podcast and this community to put your hearts out there and share your experiences. More than ever, this year seems like the time to reflect on how much this franchise has impacted us all here at the dawn of the 25th anniversary. If anything, this podcast has shown me that I'm not alone in that special feeling towards this franchise. Thanks again, everyone. Make sure to visit JurassicParkPodcast.com to find all our past episodes, brand new news articles, information on how to contact us, and much more. It's a great source for everything related to the podcast, and of course, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Head to JurassicParkPodcast.com and help us build a great community. Anybody hear that? Thanks for listening to the 139th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Of course, a big thanks to Arjun for episode 17 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Another awesome episode. I love these things each and every week. And it just feels so good having all these people from around the community, from Jurassic Cast, from The Outpost, from this podcast, and just people from the community. It's so awesome to have everybody in one place at one time, contributing. Also, thanks to everybody who submitted their Jurassic memories. You are all so incredibly awesome, sending in your thoughts and concerns all the time. I really, really love hearing from everybody. So guess what? It doesn't stop here. Next week is our patented Jurassic Mailbag with Jennifer Tarek. So make sure to send in any of your standard Jurassic thoughts, questions, or just call in to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast. And our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via iTunes, Google Play, Podomatic, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review in iTunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help out our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. We're usually spotted commenting on the Jurassic Park subreddit 
as Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, comments, or if you want to debut a segment of your own, send them to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Or you can submit questions directly on our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give our voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening and enjoy. No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.